Amen. What's your answer? That's the question we've been talking about in this series as we think about how God places us in certain circumstances and it's really clear that we've got giftedness, experience, knowledge to do something for God or or maybe it's even more obvious than that. Maybe God has really spoken to us in a clear way through others or something else that says you've got a job to do and we have to decide how we're going to answer God. And maybe you've been in that situation and said yes, and you've launched out into something that God's called you to do, or maybe there's been times when you've hesitated. And we might hesitate for lots of reasons. We might want to say to God, I think you got the wrong phone number, right? Surely there is somebody who can do this better than me. Someone who has greater giftedness, greater wisdom. Maybe you can find just a better human being than I am to do what you need done. Or we might look at the work to be done and just say, that's too big for a person like me to take on. That's too much. I'm just not capable of doing something that important for God. Or we might even say, God, I just don't think that can be done at all. I don't think that can happen. I don't think it's going to work. Maybe you've said those words. I know I have at times. Just a few weeks ago, as a matter of fact, one of our ministry teams came to me with an idea and my response, thankfully, just in my head was, that'll never work, okay? I'm a real visionary leader, as you can see. I mean, I really did. I thought that's just, that's going to be a failure. And I didn't want to be a naysayer. I didn't want to discourage them. I wanted to encourage them, build them up. And so I said, well, let's do it. And I'm thinking, you're going to be disappointed. I'm going to be disappointed. This whole thing's going to be a waste of time and energy. And maybe you've, if you're candid with yourself and with God, have, have to say, I've done that too. I've seen something that needed to be done and I just didn't think it was going to work. And so many times when we take that attitude, what really is going on is we're saying, I don't think I can do it, right? I don't think I can get that done. If it's left up to me, my ability, my resources, it's not going to happen. And what we're not doing is thinking about, well, God just might be at work in this too, and he could get it done. Now, if someone asked most of us in the room, do you think God has the power to do this, whatever it is, okay? I think almost everyone in the room would say, Yes, I do. I believe God has the power to do whatever God wants to do. That's part of his identity. We've sung about that this morning, right? That he is omnipotent, that he has the power to do anything. Well, we agree with that. But then when it actually comes to us doing something in the church, in the community, maybe just in our families, we want to say, I don't think it can be done because we don't think we can do it. And we forget that God can be at work in some of these things. So as we're answering the big questions, maybe our answer is, I don't know. And I'm afraid. And I don't think this can happen. Well, as we're dealing with that question, we're looking at the story of Jonah this month and thinking about how Jonah sometimes really teaches us how not to respond to God and occasionally how we should respond to God. Now, we've gotten to the story up to this point that God called Jonah to go and preach to the great city of Nineveh. And the message was, hey, it's, it's Jonah preaching against them and against their violence, okay? Now, Jonah didn't want to do that. 
And we read that part of the story. And it makes sense because Nineveh is a great, important city in the, the empire of Assyria. And Assyria had come in expanding their borders. And that included Israel at times. And they would demand tribute, take off the finest young men to staff their armies. And so they were sort of a sworn enemy of the people of Israel. So it's no surprise Jonah did not really want to go into one of their, their towns and start preaching about God. And so he went in the opposite direction. And you remember he ends up in a storm, in the Mediterranean, and then in the belly of a fish. And it's only after all of that that Jonah finally thinks, maybe I should pray about this, right? And we talked about that last week. But even after Jonah decides to pray, part of the problem is Jonah sort of takes credit for the power of his own personal prayer to get God's attention and to act. Over and over, he doesn't seem to have the right attitude about God. But then as we left him last week, at the end of chapter 2, we found that Jonah had been vomited up out of the great fish onto the shore, and there he is. We don't know exactly where, but what we do know at the beginning of chapter 3 is God is not done. He's not finished with Jonah. Now, as we begin the story, one little note. You know, there's some things that we find out in chapter 4 that shed light on the rest of the story all the way back to chapter 1. But what I want us to pretend, even if you're really familiar with this story, is that we are hearing it like the people of Israel for the first time, maybe when Jonah told the story, or when people passed the story down, or maybe when they read it, when it was finally written down. So without knowing what's coming, let's hear the story as it is, and then maybe we'll get a little more information next week when we get to chapter 4. But this is how chapter 3 begins. The Word of the Lord. The word of the Lord, Yahweh, this is the Old Testament name for God at this point, came to Jonah a second time. Second chance, Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, Jonah's had this message from God before, and he finally has learned his lesson, right? That when God speaks, you don't just go in the opposite direction. But the message the first time was go preach against them. And here again, Jonah... Go preach the message I'm going to give you. And Jonah was probably pretty sure what the message was because he knew God did not look favorably on the people of Nineveh. And Jonah this time thinks, well, maybe I should go. I don't want to end up in the belly of a fish again. So let's respond. Verse 2, verse 3 rather. Jonah obeyed the word of Yahweh and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So he went northeast instead of west this time, and he goes to this great city of Nineveh. Now, my guess is when the people of Israel first heard this story and they heard that Jonah was going to Nineveh and then they heard that he was in Nineveh, they figured that the response would be either the people of Nineveh were going to throw rotten vegetables at Jonah, they were going to ignore him, or they just might kill him. What we find is that Jonah gets to this very large city, and we go, how could you find a city that would take three days to walk through it? Like even modern cities wouldn't take that long. But what we, what we think is going on is that 
Jonah has come to the, like the greater Nineveh metropolitan area, okay? So there's little towns and villages that surround the bigger city, and, and Jonah's probably come to one of those, and it's, it's obvious that he's getting to a place, a population center. And it would take three days to walk from one side of that all the way to you're out of those villages and towns, okay? And Jonah comes, and he goes one day in, so a third of the way in. So if, if it takes three days to get across, he's probably not even to the center of the city of Nineveh yet, and he preaches. Now, what's really interesting about Jonah is we have just one line, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That is all of the message of God that Jonah speaks in this whole book. Now, if you look through some of the other books of the prophets in the Old Testament, what you'll find is there are chapters and chapters and chapters of the oracles of the prophets from God to the people. Look at the uh, book of Isaiah. You'll find that there is some story there. But, oh, my goodness, there are these huge chunks where Isaiah is just preaching to the people. And we find that in other books as well. For Jonah, this is it. And this is what he is proclaiming as he's walking through the city of Nineveh. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now that word overthrown, we translate it a couple different ways from Hebrew. It could be overthrown. That's perfectly a good translation. It could also be overturned. And it's almost as if God is using a word in a couple different ways in one spot here, because the city of Nineveh is ready for a change. So we've got Jonah preaching this message. If we've heard it for the first time, we're expecting that the people are going to just make fun of him, roll their eyes, walk away, or maybe kill him. And then verse 5 comes along. And the Ninevites believed God. Record scratch, full stop. What? are you talking about? What do you mean the Ninevites believed God? That would have been the response of the people who heard this story the first time. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from greatest to least, put on sackcloth. What's that about? Well, you put on sackcloth, which was this scratchy, irritable material, an irritating material, and it would make you miserable. And the whole idea is every time you feel that discomfort, you would grieve over something, and for this time, it is grief over sin. They also didn't eat so that their hunger would remind them to grieve and to repent of their sins. And, and it's shocking that these people would listen to Jonah. And even the king. Verse 6, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sackcloth and sat down in the dust, just like everyone else. He lowers himself to grieve and repent over their sin. And we think, why in the world would the people of Nineveh, the center of power in the Assyrian Empire, why would they even listen to this prophet Jonah from this backwater country that they controlled? Well, it might be this. What history tells us is that during the time of Jonah, the great Assyrian Empire, which had been expanding rapidly for many, many years, was in a period of decline. And in fact, the empire was not expanding. They were 
fighting to maintain its current borders. And in the ancient world, when stuff starts to go wrong, and it was, they were dealing with famine, political uprisings, all kinds of trouble in the Assyrian Empire. When that kind of thing happens, it must be because one of the gods is mad. Now we saw that back in chapter 1, right? When the storm comes up on the sea, the sailors are pretty sure there's a god who's upset about somebody. And here we have a similar thing. There must be a God who's upset with us. They would have tried to placate their own gods. Apparently that didn't work. And when this guy comes in, this religious teacher walks in saying, I can tell you who's mad at you. It's our God. The people of Nineveh thought this could be it. And that very well may be why they were willing to listen to Jonah and repent of their sins. And in fact, a decree went out from the king that everyone should fast, everyone should wear sackcloth, all the people, and the animals. Okay, can you imagine what a miserable place Nineveh was if all the people and the animals are hungry and wearing sackcloth? But this was their way of repenting. And this was the reason they repented. Verse 9, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Maybe God will save us. Now this is sort of of the generic ancient word for God. It's not Yahweh. It's not the Israelite name, the special proper name for God. But they were coming to know the God that the Israelites worshipped. And then in verse 10, okay, if if the... Assyrians and the Ninevites believing in God was unthinkable. This is even further down that road. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now that would have been shocking to the Israelites who first heard the story or read it that God would pay attention to the repentance of a foreign people and actually relent when his intention was to destroy them. And rather than Nineveh being overthrown, it is sort of overturned. It is turned upside down so that at this point they are repenting before the one true God, the God of Israel. So the question would be, when this was read, how how could this happen? Because everybody expected a guy like Jonah to fail, and yet he succeeded. And the only answer is that God was at work in a way that no one expected. And I think that really is the lesson for us today from this passage. God can do more than we might think. God surprises us with what He can do through us. We sometimes are really sure what God can and cannot do, even though we might talk different. But the truth is, God is at work in surprising ways. And Paul echoes this in a doxology that we find in the book of Ephesians. It's sort of right at the end of the first half of Ephesians. So at the end of chapter 3, Paul says this, which really is about the same message that we learn in Jonah. Now to him... And they're talking about God. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, 
To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And maybe the message there is we're not asking or imagining enough. Maybe we're limiting God by the way that we live or our expectations of God. God can do more than we might think. And Paul reminds us that God does this through us. Through the church. We are called to do God's work. Now, when I see this message, I think there's some assignments that we should probably give ourselves if we want to put this to work in our lives. And the first is, don't limit God. Now, again, my guess is if we had to say, is God limited, we'd say, no, God can do whatever God wants to do. But in our minds and in our hearts, sometimes we place some limits on what God can do, even through the church, through us. So part of the message here is, don't put those limits on God. Allow God to do what God will do. And number two, ask God to take us beyond the limits that we've set. So whatever it is that you've sort of said, I don't think God's going to do this in my life, in my marriage, with my kids, with my church, in my work, among my friends. Whatever it is you've decided God has, is not going to do, strike that off. Wipe it away. Because God is more powerful than we think, more powerful than what we ask or imagine. And then finally, ask God to use us to fulfill His purposes. You see, this isn't about what I want. It's not about you want. It's about what God wants. And God doesn't do anything just because I tell Him to do it, because He knows I don't know so many things. It's all about God acts in us and in a man like Jonah, in the people of Nineveh, because it's what God wanted to happen. And so the, the whole point is that we submit ourselves to what God wants, and that allows Him to work in us, to do more than we ask or imagine, because we are submitting to His plan rather than what we want to do. And the whole idea is God, in that circumstance can do more than we ask or imagine, even if we've placed limits on God. And sometimes we do. And so we're opening ourselves up for God to be at work in ways that we might not expect. You know, I told you I had that ministry team come to me and, and say, we've got this idea. And I was sure it was going to fail. But we went ahead. You know what that idea was? The church picnic we had two weeks ago. How many of you enjoyed that? Don't thank James Jones for that, okay? Because I didn't think it was going to work. We tried it before. It didn't always work very well. But God wanted it to work. And God used the people of our church to do something that was really good for us as a body of believers. Now, was that a big thing? wasn't a huge thing. But what it shows me is, if God's at work, He can do some really big things if I just open myself up to Him to do more than I might think. Let's pray together. God, we're blessed because You're at work in us. God, so 
we just pray that you'll help us to see where you're at work. And whether it's us reaching out to people who don't know you, whether it's us trying to serve you in a way that honors you in, in the work that we do, whether it's speaking the kind of encouragement you give us to the people around us, God, help us to see what you want us to do and help us to be ready to do it rather than saying we can't or that it won't work. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.